Welcome to the StoryForm podcast. StoryFormed is here to celebrate the soul-forming power of imagination, good books, and beauty in the life of your child. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the StoryFormed podcast. I'm sitting here today with Sally Clarkson and Sarah Clarkson. And we're going to be having another invigorating um, discussion about um, many things. One being Sarah's book that she wrote called Caught Up in a Story. So um, would you like to say hello, ladies? Hello. Hi, <laughs> Again, everyone. We're sitting just to, in the library, as always. I know. <laughs> just to give you context, uh, Holly is such a dear friend, and she lives in Colorado Springs. I've uh, introduced her before, but we'll do another introductory podcast about her. But she drove up today on a holiday week, and Sarah's here from Oxford. She's going back. She's not really living in America. You'll get that, <laughs> you'll get that so impression. all of our time together. Yeah. And <laughs> so we just decided to put away a morning to talk about books and ideas, and now we're getting so excited about it, we want to do more. So I hope you're enjoying this, and um, just want you to know, though, that we all can't wait to talk about all this so we can go to lunch. And go uh, read. And go read. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, there you go. So uh, we are sitting literally squished around uh, <laughs> one little microphone and having fun being friends. So that's the context of this very elaborate uh, podcast today. I'm looking at, <laughs> you can use your imagination, as, as we'll talk about later, to picture yes. our you know setting here. Sitting with many books all around <laughs> us, filled with bookshelves. And yeah, wonderful books, books piled, books messy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Well, Sarah, would you want to start off by telling us a bit about your book, Caught Up in a Story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Caught Up in a Story was something that I think became more and more a message in me as I was reading about children's reading habits and thinking about what what really is the difference between a child raised on stories and one raised on information? Because I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of things you can talk about from an educational level, but I think there's a, a vast difference um, in children who have this idea of themselves um, that they have gotten from reading stories. And I think that um, for me, as I started looking back over my own childhood, where did I come by my sense of I need to do something great with my life and Mm -hmm. I need to be responsible, I need to do this? Um, Where where did my sense of kind of the moral self come from? Mm -hmm. I realized how much of that was formed by the stories that I'd read. Mm -hmm. Um, So story formed or caught up in a story, which was the book that, that is kind of centered on that concept, came out of my realization of what story specifically gives to children, even over and above um, reading as a habit, what do great stories give? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the first things that, that I just, that kind of formed the concept of the book was, I think story gives children a concept of themselves as heroes or heroines in their own tale. And I, I honestly think that is a concept that every person on earth was meant to have. I think that we are spoken into existence by a God who has a story, who's telling a story by his goodness and grace. And we're called to caught up, be caught up in that story, to do good things, to, mm-hmm. to be brave, to be heroic, to follow him and being a hero. But I think that stories very much give that context. And, um, I've thought a lot about this. Lord of the Rings was a really huge story for me in my teenage years with my faith. And um, I think at a time when I was very discouraged um, in in my kind of just teenage questioning and faith and wondering who I was and what I was meant to be, um, I, I had this moment of reading 
um, the Lord of the Rings and thinking, I want to be like these people. I want to be like Aragorn and Frodo and all these people. But coming to the realization that they were who they were because of the larger narratives in which they were gathered up. So Aragorn knew who he was because from the time he was young, I, I'm very much a the book nerd. I've read all of them. But from the time he was young, his mother was telling him, you were going to be the hope of his, your people. You're meant to rule. You're meant to lead. And so he spent decades becoming this strong good, virtuous leader who was able to endure hardship. Frodo grew up hearing stories um, from his um, adopted, you know, Bilbo, if you know the story, um, hearing these these ideas about what it was to be brave and go on adventures. And so when the time came, he was able to be caught up into this story and to do something great. And so I think on that level, I think that parents have this really amazing opportunity from the time their children are tiny to begin telling them into a story, um, mm-hmm. begin kind of alerting them to, with the words they use, and specifically I think the books they give them to read, the kind of story that their children have been born into, and to give them an identity as someone who needs to do something great, like all the story book heroes they're reading about. Mm-hmm. Well, I even have to say, in light of that, I always have something to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was thinking, in scripture, we have this story about David. I mentioned him last time, but David was a young man who normally we wouldn't think of having power or being mm-hmm. able to access spirituality or courage, but he was the seventh brother, was it? The seventh brother looked down upon. Joseph was the twelfth uh, brother. Is that right? Uh, I think so. Joseph, yes. was, the, <laughs> Joseph <laughs> was the youngest brother. <laughs> and, um, the thing that's so great about these stories, and I'm going to compare them to Lord of the Rings and a, a Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe, is... We can say to our children, who many people ignore all the time, or they don't treat children with honor, we can look at David and say, can you imagine that this, he was almost a boy, and mm-hmm. he was the one who stood up against the giant. Mm-hmm. And the the value of Lord of the Rings, like that, or the value of Joseph as the youngest child, who ended up leading the greatest uh, civilization at that point, Egypt, he became the second in command. We can go to Lord of the Rings, and we can say, don't you think... Frodo and Sam were tiny people. They were powerless. They mm-hmm. they were small. How in the world could they ever be heroes? But maybe you'll be a hero like they are. Or in Narnia, uh, where you have these little children who go into this imaginary land and they already access their powers by becoming kings and queens and fighting against evil. And so I think your point about the story formed is that it helps even little children to begin thinking, I may be small, I may be young, but Mm -hmm. even I can begin becoming a hero because Mm -hmm. look at these Bible stories and Mm -hmm. these literary stories and they're actually showing that you can be powerful at any age. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. So many of those characters and people in the Bible, there was so much adversity all around Mm -hmm. them. No one really encouraged them. No one believed in them. And yet God was calling them to Mm -hmm. do this great thing. And so... Even for small children, whatever that means for them, seeing that whatever they feel like is mm. sort of discouraging them or coming right, against them, right. that they have these people to look up to who, yeah, amidst dif- great difficulty and situations, they were able to fulfill this great calling that God had for them. Not mm. by might or by power, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah, you also talked about, um, well, we're talking about heroes mm. and um, fostering a child's imagination. Mm. Um why do you think that just fostering an imagination in kids is such a vital part of childhood? Mm. I mean, imagination is this God-given capacity to to see with the inward eye, to create, to... Um, the imagination is really about 
I think forming an interior self of having a mm-hmm. world within you from which you draw ideas, from which you draw identity. Um, and I think that if you think in, I mean, you look in scripture, um, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith mm-hmm. is so much about imagination. And mm-hmm. we were made in the image of a creator God who, who imagined the world and called it into being. Um, and we were given the capacity, Tolkien talks about us as being co-creators, that we were meant to have rich imaginations from which we could then bring forth new ideas, new goodness, new beauty um, as co-creators with God in the world. And I think that um, imagination is really the source of of new ideas, of scientific discoveries, of mm-hmm. poets and artists and playwrights and good music. It, it is the driving creative force um, in, in all creation of new things. And I think that um, we live in a culture that's so driven by um, information and by a very pragmatic kind of action where you accomplish things, you check off a list. But we are not always aware of um, cr- allowing children to create a whole world within themselves where they're taking in stories, where they're having space to think and create this inner world of ideas and beauty and imagery from which they're then drawing a richness that they can give back to the world, which is what I really think imagination in many senses is. So mm-hmm. I think that it's, I think if you want children who can grow up to have the capacity to become something great, you need to have children who can imagine that capacity and who can imagine um, the, a world beyond our, our own and who can. Um, walk forward in faith. I think faith is so tied to imagination, walking mm-hmm. forward in faith with God, imagining the goodness that he wants them to create within the world and going forth to do that. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes in our culture, um, there's something about maybe children or even us as adults that, mm-hmm. that think that we need or that we have a capacity to just sit down and create something without having been had anything <laughs> like I should just sit here yeah. and come up with these wonderful ideas yeah, and things exactly. to do. And I think I grew up feeling a bit of that pressure of, but mm. without having, you yeah. know, these great um, books and space to Without play having a garden of the soul. Yeah, there isn't anything to draw from. Yeah. Right. So I really like how you said that. Well, mm-hmm. and I think, I think, I do really think we live in such an outwardly oriented world. We, mm-hmm. um, we are very active. We're very distracted. Um, our attention is drawn outward into screens and to advertisements into media and activity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying all of those things are bad but it just means we lose the understanding and the awareness of how much our interior world um, needs to be developed as well uh, mm-hmm. we're not outward actions come from interior realities right exactly. um, no no brave action has been done without there being a brave substance within as well without someone having built up concepts of bravery and pictures of what that looks like and stories that help them and um mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that we, we have a, a great need in our society to allow children um, and to cultivate within them an interior self, which I think the imagination is a huge part of that, mm-hmm. um, as well as an outwardly active self. Mm-hmm. Um, they need substance within themselves before they can create substance outside of themselves. Exactly, like imitation, being yeah. able to imitate yeah. is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, in, our, in any area of our own lives, whether it would be cooking or teaching mm-hmm. or whatever, the more experience you have at something the better you'll be able to be at that skill because you've mm-hmm. done it, you've failed, you've thought about it, you've mm-hmm. been creative about it, and then you put your own imprint on it. And I once heard somebody say that uh, a hero is a person who is tempted by the same fear, the same difficulties, the same challenges, but he is somebody who has imagined himself at other times in his life to be responsible for being courageous. And um, so a hero has to have imagined and in had a self-image of himself as that person in the story that he heard or mm-hmm. the great war uh, movie that he saw mm-hmm. or 
the story that he heard from Uncle Joe that the more he shapes his his sense of self on, I want to be that brave person in my life, then when he comes up to a circumstance, as all of our children will when they're adults, they've already lived through it in imagination many times. And so I, I love everything that Sarah... This book is an amazing book, the caught up in a story. I read it and underlined almost every page, and I thought, Mm -hmm. I wish I knew this person. Oh, yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have loved reading it, too, and it's been fun to sit around with other parents and talk about the ideas in Sarah's book, and so I encourage you to pick it up um, if you haven't read it already. Um, Kind of, we've talked about in a couple other podcasts a little bit about technology, Mm. and Sarah mentioned it a little bit, and I'm sure as many your parents out there know that this can feel a bit of a battleground and it's everywhere. We're being blasted with, you know, different social media or screens. It's just sort of all around us. And especially those of you who are maybe have really little ones, it's sort of mm-hmm. the culture that they're growing mm-hmm. up fr- with from the very start. Um, and so I, it's it's been a struggle for us, but we've really tried to... Um, I think of this analogy of of what we can offer our kids and Mm -hmm. that um, if I say to them, you know, here's some wonderful watermelon that, you know, they love, it's a wonderful fruit, they love it, they're going to be inclined to take that. And so that, that we could think of that as a great book, if that's what Mm -hmm. we're feeding them and it's, there's enough there that they like and they're going to keep wanting it and it's, it's juicy and fun and delightful. But if I say, well, you can have watermelon or a lollipop almost every time they're going to choose the lollipop, right? And the lollipop could be like like handing them a screen or a phone, you know, whenever we're stressed, which is, I know it's a great temptation to want to do this, but I think even as parents, if we train ourselves to, you know, our go-to is just handing them a book mm-hmm. and not giving them the screen, it's, um, the more we do that, the more they're going to want that. I think with my yeah, own kids, it's an appetite. We, yeah, we try to have very limited screen time, but there are times where when we're sick or, you know, we might yeah. give, you know, there are seasons where we just give them a bit more, but I know that I'll always have to do some things to try to reverse that yeah. because once <laughs> I give them more, whatever I'm giving them more of, that's what they want. So yeah. if I have, we have seasons where we're hardly doing any screens, I just keep feeding them great books and giving them time to have imaginative play that's actually yeah. what they end up wanting yeah well I think too I think it co- I think something that we have to ask ourselves because I think we live in a, in a te- technopoly as Neil Postman would say we live in mm. a culture so shaped and driven by technology that in some ways we're unaware of the many ways that we live that are shaped by technological right um, purposes but I think that because that's happened so quickly I mean I I'm mm-hmm. 11 years old, older than my younger sister and I feel like the world's, our teenage worlds were vastly different. I, mm-hmm. I didn't have an iPhone. I didn't have, mm-hmm. I don't think I had a laptop. I didn't have, uh, you know, iPods. We, it just wasn't a reality in our, mm-hmm. our world. Mm-hmm. Facebook, certainly not. Right. Um, which I guess dates me a little bit, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just grew up on just on the edge of when that was coming into being. And I think our world has changed so quickly, we're not always aware of what's happening. But mm-hmm. I think that something that has to be asked is, what is technology producing in children? Because I think mm-hmm. especially for children, nothing is neutral. Everything they're encountering is shaping the way they think, the way they interact. And I think that something that really was kind of the defining point for me was reading a study on what happens in the brain um, when a child watches TV versus mm-hmm. when they're, they're reading a book. Um, and it's literally when a child watches a screen, there's a part of their brain that just goes to sleep. Um, so that they're very passively receiving information. And the specific study with TV, um, basically what researchers found was that the left side of the brain, which um, which is 
your discernment side. So it's the logic, it's the deciding whether this is true, how it fits in with your system, whether you can accept or reject what's being put before you. That side of the brain went to sleep, whereas the right side remained active. And the right side is what receives image, emotion, very strong feelings. So when children were watching TV, basically their their discernment filter wasn't on. They were just receiving what was put mm-hmm. before them. Mm-hmm. Whereas when, As truth. And well exactly, because they that the side of their brain that could discern whether this is true or not wasn't active developed. at that point and wasn't that. even developed in young yeah. children enough to be able okay. to do that mm-hmm. whereas when, when reading a book children um literally their brains the researchers said it was it was fascinating to watch the screens because it was like their brains were lighting up mm. because there's so many processes going on your 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 eye is translating black and white into ideas you're actually hearing words um in your mind it's as if someone is speaking them to you mm-hmm. um as you read you're you're creating images within your imagination you're sorting the information you're deciding whether to reject or accept it. You're creating new ideas around what you're taking in. So, and I, I think it's, I'm not saying that all technology is wrong and all reading is good. Right. But I think what it comes down to is, what, and what these researchers were saying, is that um, books teach children to interact with information. It teaches them to be able to read something and say, I think this is true, or I actually, I, I question this part. Or it teaches them to be active in how they receive truth in the world. Technology has an almost inescapable effect of being of teaching children to be passive because you're mm-hmm. looking at a screen, mm-hmm. you're accepting what's put before you, and I think in a media-driven, um, technology-screen-driven culture, it is just so important to train children to interact with information instead of just to receive it because if you're just receiving everything that's put before you, then mm-hmm. you have no basis for action or for change or for understanding that there can be different ways. Now, that's not saying that all technology is bad, all reading is good, but it's saying we have to question what we are being shaped by on our daily use of technology. And, you know, if you hand a child an iPhone, what's happening in her brain? And what's, mm-hmm. what is that creating within her capacity to learn, to think, to interact? Well, and I think it's, uh, it might be compared to, this might be a bad example, you can tell me if it is, but um, <laughs> I was thinking about how uh, we could easily watch a very interesting movie about uh, uh, an athlete practicing shaping his muscles, um, building speed, becoming you know really strong at doing his particular thing, whether it's a gymnast or or, or an athlete or whatever. But that's not going to build your muscle to watch somebody on a screen, no, um, <laughs> right? You know, participate in exercise. But to build wish your sometimes, right? Yeah, I, do too. Nice. I wish I could just watch videos, you know, about exercise all day long. But in order for me to build muscle, mm-hmm. I actually have to get out there and exercise right. or jump or, or try to point my toes. Ideas. Or, yeah. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that our, our kids, and this is what I found, I never meant for my kids to go to Oxford, Cambridge, St. Andrews, you know, get into Yale, whatever it is, all these places. But I did respect their mental muscle. When they were children, I, I just I poured as much good stuff as I could. I exposed them to vocabulary. I, I had them write out their ideas. I read to them every day, and I I hoped that what I was investing in their lives was going to make a difference. But the reason that they became so profoundly strong at words is because that's the world we swam in every day, all the time, as a disciplined way. And I, I wanted to bring up that point because. I think that uh, it's we want an easy way. We want a magic bullet. Mm-hmm. We want something that will make mothering easy, 
uh, you know, if our children would just quit eating, maybe if they just fast every day, yeah. <laughs> you know, or whatever. It still hasn't happened. Has and it still hasn't happened. <laughs> um, but I think that one of the things that I've realized is that almost every great thing or attribute or character quality I've built into my children's lives took me time. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. last night, uh, we have Thomas here, which is really fun. But My husband. Uh, so his husband, <laughs> uh, Thomas from Holland. Uh, in Oxford. But uh, anyway, we uh, we have been spending the past few nights playing rousing games. Uh, we, we took the time. We're all kind of tired because they're jet lagged and we're all working on projects here. And it would have been so easy every night just to lay down on the couch. And we do that sometimes, but to watch a movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the past few nights, right after dinner, we have played uh, uh, this game of called Golf that we like. What's the other game the called? The card game. And Settlers of Catan. Settlers ah. of Catan. And I mean, everybody just yelled oh and screamed and jumped in. Goodness, and the competition. <laughs> yeah, but we had to... Re- we, we, it's, a, it's important to know you can't just say to your children, no, don't do technology. No, don't right. have fun. No, yeah. don't do games. But you have to replace it with something right. that's palatable, that's that, really fun, that's engaging. Mm-hmm. And so... It's going to take you more time. Yeah. You're going to have to read and cuddle up on the couch and say, isn't this exciting? I love this book. Nothing good comes without a lot of hard work and, and, yeah. and, and, um, yeah, and intention. And so you can't mm-hmm. just punish your children and say, technology is bad. You can't have it. You have to say, let me offer you something that's so much fun, and I'm going to do it with you. Let's build a, a Lego tower as big as the whole house. Uh, and then you have to sit down and do it with them. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I, we would say with that... We're not saying never use technology, no. never watch a movie. I right. think that there are good movies where you can encounter great stories and mm-hmm. see, you know, good character formation through that. But I think it's talking about what is the primary input? How are right. children being formed um, for an, you know, 70, 80% basis of their lives mm-hmm. um, is, is more of the idea. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. right. And in talking about formation, um, in your book, you also talk a little bit about um, make believe and mm. and helping them to wonder about yeah. life. Um, do you have any more thoughts about what that yeah. looks like or what it looked like for you growing up? I think that um, you know we talk about um, virtue and character and how do you make children want to be good and how do you want, make them want mm-hmm. to be brave. Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting to look at the idea of the two the, the identical words of character by which we mean the quality of person, what kind of person they are, are they good mm-hmm. or bad, and characters in a book. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that children very much learn, and I know I did, um, learn how to be brave by seeing something brave. Children aren't mm-hmm. abstract thinkers. They're very concrete thinkers. So if you say, mm-hmm. you know, someone is nice, that well, niceness is kind of a, a, mm-hmm. a, you know, a vague term, but they know someone is nice who gives them a piece of candy or who, you know, when someone shares, or I, I always use Lucy as the brave girl. Yes. I always wanted to be Lucy with the, <laughs> right. I was like Queen Lucy and uh-huh. Queen Susan who had the bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wanted a bow and arrow. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you got one. I did actually. <laughs> See? And with that, I mean, I think that very much for my siblings and I, we would often go read a story and then enact it on the mountainside mm-hmm. behind our house. We'd go out and play. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, that goes in with the whole stocking of the imagination the more children have these stories in their mind, the more that they go out and they begin to reenact and take on these identities of even in play, I'm a hero, mm-hmm. I'm an explorer, mm-hmm. I'm a Scottish rebel fighting for a cause, I'm, you know, Marie Curie uh, curing cancer, I'm Monet painting in the sunlight, which mm-hmm. nothing we ever painted looked, you know, remotely <laughs> like Monet, but, mm-hmm. but we were being Monet painting in the sunlight. And the more you enact mm-hmm. those things, the more your own capacity to imagine yourself becoming those things grows. I- 
I just have to insert this really quickly. A great book to get for your children is called Lene and Monet's Garden. Linnea, yeah. Yes. Linnea, yeah. Linnea yeah, and Monet's Garden. Oh, it's lovely. It's L-I-N-N-E-A. Mm-hmm. In Monet's Garden. Mm-hmm. And it's this little girl painting in Monet's Garden. So. It's really good fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that I think that the make-believe was fed, our, our, our make-believe playing was fed by the stories we had mm-hmm. nourished our minds with so that we were taking out of that to create our own richness. So I think, yeah, I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think on the, the idea of wonder... Um, I think children are born with a natural capacity to wonder at the world. And by wonder, I think wonder is actually something that adults, I think, I think wonder is supposed to be something natural to humanity. It's to encounter the world as a miracle, to see mm-hmm. it as a gift, to mm-hmm. um, not to be bored by it. Mm-hmm. Boredom or jadedness is the opposite of wonder. Um, and I think children, children encounter the world as something new, and they only lose that capacity as they are taught to be bored. In that mm-hmm. sense, boredom mm-hmm. is something that a child learns. It's not something that's natural to their state. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, I think that books just continue to cultivate really good stories, help to cultivate that sense of wonder. And C.S. Lewis talks a lot about this in his writing, about how he read, even as an adult, he would read um, great novels or fantasy stories, or he loved the great myths because mm-hmm. he said, I, I, by being, I can't remember his exact phrasing, but it was a dipping in myths. He said, by reading the myths, I came back to see the true mythic nature of my own life. And suddenly, you know, when you when you encounter bread and gold and, you know, um, a kiss in a fairy tale, you see it in real life in a different way. And you, re- you kind of recognize mm-hmm. the huge capacities of our own world. Uh, it's re-enchanted in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's part of reading as well. I just wanted to add one little thing. I think that um, that's why I think it's so important when you're establishing your children's foundations to establish them on innocence and to protect them and to give them good appetites when they're young so that they can form uh, the ability to believe in miracles, to believe in a God who could do great things. Because if everything that they watch or say or hear in an adult world, which we're in this technologically uh, advanced world and we measure everything by what, uh, I don't know, what what its worth is uh, to us, uh, then children aren't going to be able to imagine the importance of being a servant, laying down their lives. Uh, They aren't going to be able to imagine that God could intervene in this world and actually answer prayer. Fairy tales teach us that the impossible is possible. I'll interject here. Tolkien has an amazing word, and he actually wrote an essay defending fairy stories as something spiritually good. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he talks about is he said that fairy tales have what he calls the eucatastrophe, which is the opposite of catastrophe. So it's the totally unexpected good ending Mm -hmm. um, in the midst of difficulty. And he said that as far as that went in a fairy tale, he thought it imaged the gospel because it was this Mm -hmm. absolute goodness breaking into an impossible situation. And he has this beautiful phrase where he says it brings about in us a joy, joy poignant as grief, joy from beyond the walls of the world. And mm-hmm. I think that that's, mm-hmm. even in young children, what stories are evoking and creating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love, um, I've been so inspired by both of you and mm-hmm. in helping, um, in reading to my kids, and I love seeing them just mm-hmm. have these amazing imaginations and reading great books and going out, and we have a backyard now with trees, and they can hike around, and just the things that they're building, and the journeys they're going on and I've, I'm seeing them merging different stories together yeah. so it's fun to see like characters from this one and then plots playing out from others and it's just it's so neat to just observe and their own to, stories yeah, as they go exactly watching all that's 
happening to them and listening to their dialogue. And so I just love hearing your children talk, Holly. <laughs> they are so engaging and so mature for their age. And I know it's because of the investment you've made in their lives. And I, one other thing we used to do, we would have the children read or we would read out loud to them or would read at night. And then we made a costume box. I made mm-hmm. capes for each of the kids. Mm-hmm. I got pretend swords. We, we would use different things like bottle caps as money or uh, pebbles or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's kind of fun for them to be able to engage in a story, but then to have a magic box where they can go mm-hmm. and get different uh, costumes and put mm-hmm. them together and create a whole world. Mm-hmm. And if you, you don't, they sometimes in my house start... Where did that spatula go? Where did the face go? I've had things disappear um, out of their creativity, which sometimes yeah. is okay. It's sometimes slightly challenging. Yeah, slightly challenging when you're trying to cook something. Yeah, that's your, really cute. Utensils are have disappeared. Yeah, there you go. Are being used as swords. Yes, that's right. That's right. Oh. Okay. Um, Sarah, do you have any other any other points you want to bring up from your book? Um, I think I just the, the drive behind the book was. I really think that we need to be, children need to be given a sense of identity, that from their youngest years, they are forming this deep sense of who am I Mm -hmm. and what do I have to offer the world? And I think Mm -hmm. that um, we live in a postmodern culture. We live in a culture that doesn't, isn't shaped by stories so much. We Mm -hmm. live in one that's, it's very much about information. It's very much about busyness. But I think that um, what children need in order to flourish and to progress and to grow is a sense of themselves as called and equipped and enriched and nourished in order to create something, to do something good in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that stories, as with scripture, I mean, scripture is the story that tells us who we are um, in a larger mm-hmm. scale and God's right. plan. And these stories help children to understand themselves as called to live as heroes and heroines in their own tale. I think that's just the crux of what I want to communicate. You know, I really do believe that when kids go away to college, and they're confronted by temptations and choices and difficulties, I think that the kids who are self-actualized in that sense, who have a real sense of, well, I'm supposed to be a hero. I'm supposed to bring God's light to my world because that's how I've grown up thinking about myself. That when they confront great pressure, oftentimes they have this treasure chest of reality and truth and goodness that have shaped their sense of who they are. So when a child is, is confident about his legacy, his heritage, his calling to be light and salt in this dark world, uh, they can easily go into the world and be trusted with very difficult things because mm-hmm. they've already practiced developing mm-hmm. who they're going to be within the context of their home and stories. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes a fight in our culture, at least in some of the worlds that, that I find myself in, is there's this kind of constant need or drive in parents to find the right things for their kids to be doing like Sarah referenced kind of an entering into this very much of an external world and and some those things can be really great and my kids do we are -hmm. are involved in activities but I think there can be this pressure or Mm. um, maybe the greater culture it's just it's sometimes we feel like well maybe I should just be putting my child from, you know, going from thing to yeah. thing to thing. Uh-huh. And then we sort of drown out any, any time or space to have them and be, to be, to develop be, a conscience. or to read, yeah, yeah, to read these great things. And so it's, yeah. it takes, um, having a different kind of vision and creating yeah. a different kind of space to just be and not be doing, doing, but it's, Absolutely. it's an internal struggle that I battle with that my husband and I are always talking through and 
reevaluating. We're about to go on a prayer and planning retreat that we do annually. And so we try to reevaluate all these, evaluate and pray through, okay, are we investing in the things that we want Mm -hmm. to invest in or what things do we need to to step back from, to create more space for the things that we want to be intentional about for this season. Well, this is fun. Okay, Sarah, when are you coming back from Oxford? Your mom wants to know. <laughs> or Holly, I've got a better idea. When Why don't you and I go to right. England? Yes. You can, Let's uh, plan it. I know. You and I can go to England for uh, for three fo- three podcasts. That's right. There we go. Oxford awaits you. <laughs> yeah, and a, a, a very strong cup of tea. Yes. So, well, this has been really fun to be with you, Holly. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, yeah thank you. fun to be with all of you. Well, thanks for listening, and we look forward to the next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a, have Bye. a great week. And keep reading. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out our website at storyform.com for show notes, and like us on our Storyform Facebook page, and follow us at Storyformed Home on Instagram. Please rate us on iTunes and leave a comment so that others can find out about us too. May you and your family be Storyformed. Storyformed.